Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. Today, we have another ancestral evolutionary paleo primal superstar, James Broderick, on the show. He is the host of Ancestral Health Radio, the podcast. You can also go to the website, ancestralhealthradio.com. Welcome to the show, James. I'm honored, El. Thank you very much for having me on today. So happy to have you. Let's, um, we're going to get into some interesting topics around ancestral health, some of which I kind of am a little bit unaware of. But let's start off with your story because, you know, it's very interesting when people come to this way of living and discover it. What was your health journey that got you here? Yeah. And, you know, it, thank you for asking that. And, you know what? I think, like a lot of people listening, it started with a lot of trouble, you know. Um, it started off with my youth being very disconnected from nature. Like many young children, um, I like to stay inside and play video games, occasionally go outside and play some quote-unquote army commando with my friends, and that was, be- that was about it. But fortunate for me, fortunate enough for me, I grew up in a time where uh, the Internet was just emerging. So I wasn't always plugged in or connected like the youth of today are. So... I, I kind of have that, which I, I'm, I'm very fortunate for. But um, along those same lines, I was still very uh, disconnected from the natural world, I guess you could say. And that led me down some very unusual paths. So, for example, um, one of the reasons why I am so ambitious and so um, concerned with my health is that I have a long history of health and drug related illness within my family. And when I was 20 23 years old, um, I got a knock at my apartment door, and unbeknownst to me, I just shrugged it off. It was 5 o'clock in the morning, and I just went back to bed. Um, Little did I know, two minutes later, the door exploded and shattered into a million pieces, and it was essentially the local police knocking in my front door because uh, they were raiding my apartment because of selling marijuana. And that was the beginning of a grand adventure for me. Um, that was probably one of the darkest areas of my life. I was, if that, wait, hold on. You got, you got busted for selling marijuana. I got busted for selling weed. Yep. Uh, Okay. And I just want to, I just want to laugh, laugh for a second because we are now in a state where you would never have gotten arrested if you were in today's world. So that's interesting. Medication. Yeah. So, I mean, moving on though, I, I, I'm so grateful for that moment, though. You know, it's it's through some of our biggest struggles that we find some of our, our greatest strengths. And, and one of the things I found for me through that entire process was rediscovering my health. And I did that through this small health food store in Southern California called Mother's Market and Kitchen, primarily a vegan vegetarian health food store. That side of the nutrition never really clicked with me. It never really kind of... Um, I don't know, it never really settled right with me, veganism or vegetarianism. I just always had this understanding that we as a species, being homo sapiens, were just omnivores. We ate kind of whatever we could get our hands on, right? But that was just kind of the beginning of my story. You know, um, from there, I learned a lot about natural health and holistic nutrition and functional medicine through a lot of the lead formulators in many of the companies that you see on the shelves today. So I was, I was very, very fortunate that that I got that opportunity. Unlike 
some people that would take a job in that position, it might just be a, another paycheck. For me, it was a lifestyle. It was a way of living and a way of um, really finding who I was and how I was going to offer my gifts to the world. Because through that store, I found out that my natural passion was to teach and educate others about wellness and health. That is awesome. And also, you know, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, that you went right to this health store. And even though it was sort of like a vegan vegetarian thing, I think a lot of people who are coming from a place of ill health, the one thing we all know, even if you're not educated, is kind of like, okay, eat more veggies. So I can see why a lot of people from the state of ill health would go right to something like that because they're thinking, okay, I have eaten a bunch of crap. I should probably start eating greens. And even though that's not the full answer, maybe, uh, as we would uh, like it in terms of our ancestral health experience, but it's not surprising, right? That you would go to like, all right, need to start eating green stuff, you know? Not, but you know what the problem is, you know, if you're looking for traditional, just advice on health, the traditional answer for health is wrong. And so you could be going, it's just like my friend, Daniel, he's got this hilarious um, analogy. Basically he says, you know, you could be wanting to go to Mexico, but if you're driving to Canada, there's no way that you're going to get there. So the idea is that if you're following bad advice, no matter how good you're doing at that advice, you're still going in the wrong direction, right? So point. I, I kind of learned over trial and error, trial and error, just over and over and over again, experimenting on myself and kind of learning from the people that would come into the store because many people had their own struggles and were just extremely self-educated. They're really, really smart individuals, really smart cookies there. So I got to learn a lot there. And my coworkers were, were highly, highly skilled individuals as well in natural supplements and whole foods. So I kind of had it lucky. But um, again, going back to that idea that you could be trying your hardest at something, clean eating, you know, for example, that's what I looked up and, and tried to do and found like the abs diet and, you know, going to all the muscle, <laughs> muscle mags and all that kind of stuff to see, you know, and that just kind of like, you know, I don't know, it did something weird to my ego where all I was thinking about was aesthetics and how I could look good, but not necessarily get myself healthy. And that's when around that time I was noticing that I was still eating healthy, but I was still putting on some pounds and I didn't know what was going on. And I was working and eating at a vegan vegetarian health food store. Something weird was happening, right? And then I stumbled onto something, an article, you know, because I had a lot of time to study while I was there, an article that was called The Caveman Diet. And I was like, what the hell is this? You know, there are people eating raw meat, um, eating plants that I had never heard of and practicing ancestral life ways that, I mean, just went against everything that I had ever grown up seeing. Right. And from that point on, I don't know what it was, but it was definitely some type of magnet magnetic draw towards that diet or that lifestyle that had me interested. And Probably, I, maybe it was your DNA inside just lighting up being like, help me <laughs> screaming. Yeah. And it was crazy. So as I started to experiment with that diet, lo and behold, as many of our audience members know, I started to get better. I started to feel better. And it was crazy because the people at my work began to immediately notice. And it was weird because at first it was kind of negative. They were actually saying, James, are you okay? It seems like you have a little too much energy. Are you, you know, ah. they started to kind of question whether or not I was on drugs or something. And it was hilarious because I was like, no, guys, um, I'm actually just eating really well. And I'm feeling like a million bucks. You've got to try this. You're like, my body's eating its own fat. I'm on fire right now. What are you talking <laughs> Yeah. Eight years ago or nine years ago. And uh, aside was, from that symptom, I want to just take you back. So, what were those things initially? Obviously, the energy, but what were the things when you said I started to get better? Give us, you know, what things started to fall off the symptom plate 
uh, as you went forward? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so some of the main things that I noticed were <clears throat> some of the autoimmune conditions I developed um, through adulthood, specifically like with eczema and like flaky kind of dry skin. And I always use like head and shoulders and things like that, which only exacerbated the, the, the problem even more. Um, but uh, it was really kind of less bloating. Um, my waistline went down. I felt more trim, more focused, more clear headed. Pretty much everything that you would ever hear about the benefits of paleo, ancestral health, anything, I got all that, you know, and that was just from the diet, you know, so that was really kind of um, the aha moment for me. Like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is, this is working. Wow. Why is this working? And then if this is working for my health, how can I apply these principles to other areas of my life? And then that's when things really started to get a little bit crazy. Because I started to do more research and I learned that um, through uh, our education and modern modern uh, culture, there's something called evolutionary mismatch diseases. And, you know, it's just a term that many people haven't really come to terms with yet. They haven't really heard that term very much, but I'd like yeah, to. I actually haven't heard that term. So, yeah, please uh, clarify and get into it. Yeah. So it's, you know, and you know this and it's just it's just a term that you're unfamiliar with, but it's the idea that humans grew up or were shaped by their environment. And in today's environment, we are now superseded with technology and artificial environments that do not mimic our evolutionary DNA. So so from that, we are getting a lot of inflammation, a lot of wrong signals sent to our bodies that are causing things like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis, myopia, Myopia. Uh, thyroid issues, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, crooked teeth. Uh, um, I mean, allergies, autoimmune, autoimmune diseases, you name it. All of yep. these are a product of what I would call domestication. And um, really, if you look at it from an objective point of view, we kind of fit that criteria. You know, we, uh, we breed in captivity. We eat domesticated food. We live inside. If you think of the word uh, uh, domesticated, it comes from the word domicile or of the house, you know, and that's kind of the idea. If anybody out there has read the book Sapiens, a brief history, a brief history of humankind, amazing book by um, Yuval Harari uh, or Noah Yuval Harari, um, amazing book. But it's, it's funny you mentioned that because my brother just called me the other day and said, you have to read this book called Sapiens. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so now you're the second person that's mentioned that. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, it's probably the, the best book I read in 2016. It was extremely eye-opening. And it's great because, you know, he says that, uh, like many of us know now, that wheat or agriculture, we didn't domesticate wheat. Wheat essentially domesticated us. It made us sedentary creatures. And from that, we know from fossil records that our body size, uh, particularly our bone structure and our brain size, has decreased in size and structure. So um, there's a lot of things that we can essentially take from our lineages, and there's many ways we can do this um, to kind of um, signal the right kind of gene expression so that we can live happier, healthier lives. You're, you're speaking our language here. This is this is great. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about 
Uh, well, it's interesting about the um, modern diseases. You know, in C.J. Hunt's The Perfect Human Diet, they've got some paleo and you know anthropologists that are uh, interviewed, and one of them says that as far as you know samples go, when they're looking at DNA strands and you know samples of beings on this earth, they said that rheumatoid arthritis was not even on the archaeological record until grains came on the scene. And, you know, that makes sense because if you Google grains and autoimmune anything, something's going to come up (laughs) because we know what a trigger that is. So for everyone out there, um, if you're, you know, even just curious about that particular portion, that really is, that really is true. So talk about mismatching there. How do we, you mentioned a word. I mean, I kind of know what it means, but we were talking earlier. You said rewilding. Yes. So that's obviously, I'm assuming, right? Getting out of the TV, getting back to nature. So tell us, how did you do that? Because, you know, I'm sure that was, if you didn't spend your life hiking and being in nature and getting fresh sun, and then you realize, uh uh-oh, what did you do to to get back into that? Well, um, so as I was exploring this diet, I, again, I, I, came to realize that, hey, maybe some of these ideas could be applied to other areas of my life, and I might get that kind of awesome benefit that I got with with the diet, right? So I, I was doing some of these principles. I was going outside as much as possible, soaking up the sun, I, and I'm a redheaded guy, so you know I don't need very much sun, but I go outside as much as I can. I, I try to learn more about my natural ecology as far as my bioregion, so my bioregion meaning exactly where my local local area is and where all the local fauna, all the plants, basically becoming more nature connected. But as I was doing this, I ran across this idea or this term called rewilding. And typically it's used or was created by conservation biologists in Europe to bring back the local ecologies, things like the local flora and fauna, so that they can um, remain wild. And some people have this idea, again, that humans are now this kind of subspecies of Homo sapiens sapien. We are now uh, something that my friend Daniel, and I keep mentioning Daniel, his name is Daniel Vitalis of the Rewild Yourself podcast. He's a, a digital mentor of mine. Very, very, very incredibly smart, passionate, knowledgeable guy. But he says that we are a subspecies of humans because if we're domesticated, you know, we're just a different breed. You know, he says that there's kind of a taboo around that, but we have no taboos around calling other dogs or subspecies of vegetables other breeds. However, we have a problem with us being called a different breed. And we, he says that we are something called Homo sapien domestico fragilis. <laughs> That's so hysterical. Fragile domesticated version of the Homo sapien. And it's really quite funny because when you dissect that word, Rewild, or if you look up that word rewild, I have it here in front of me. It's a verb, and it says to reverse the process of domestication or to to return to a more wild or self-willed state. So, you know, we know that there are these indigenous people in these small pockets around the world. And if you think about it, they are our last true window into our most sovereign, our strongest DNA pool. And without those people, we are eventually we will miss out on a lot of the teachings, a lot of the things that that can really help. um, I don't know, not reverse any of the evolutionary mismatch diseases that we have, but somehow create a new culture where we can move forward and learn how to rewild not only our landscapes, but our hearts, our souls, our environments, our people and our land. 
What are some of the things that uh, we always hear, you know, there's obviously a lot of common objections to this. What are some common themes when you're talking to people who are maybe unfamiliar or just kind of getting started? What are some common themes of objections and things that, you know, you've heard? Well, um, for number one, you know, I'm always talking about this idea of sovereignty and that I would, uh, you know, ultimately my goal is to become a sovereign individual as much as possible at least within the constructs that I'm given. So within capitalism, within my government and trying to offer as much freedom I can to myself to rewild as much as possible. And people have a problem with this for some reason. And a lot of, um, you know, my coworkers, for example. So right now I work a regular job as well, too. I'm just doing the podcast on the side. It's truly my passion. But right now, obviously, we all need to make a dollar. So I work in a warehouse and it's totally unconducive to my lifestyle. It's a box. It's dirty. There's no it's just, um, you know, it's terrible to be there eight hours a day, but uh, I get to talk about this to this small group of guys that I have, and I think of us as a small tribe, and we're out there hunting and gathering for our product in the aisles of that warehouse. But <laughs> um, uh, you know, I get a lot of weird objections and a lot of things people say. And for example, I'm sure a lot of them um, for you and for me are based around food and our food choices. Uh, so, for example, you know, what about bread? What about whole grains? How come I can't have this? Or some of the social issues like, um, James, if you were to be a sovereign person and just go live off the grid, what's going to stop somebody from coming in there and just taking whatever you have? I mean, there's a lot of areas, a lot of objections people have to this. And really the biggest challenge I find for myself is trying to communicate it in a clear way so that people, you know, hopefully somebody's eyes or, you know, uh, a new way of seeing this can can be approached by somebody that had never even thought of this idea of rewilding. So um, some of the the pitfalls or just some of the really common things that I'm sure you get regarding diet, because that's typically... Well, let me ask about this objection about, uh, oh, well, what's to say that if you... Were they saying like, oh, if you go live in the wild, what's to say to prevent someone from taking everything from you? That was the thing. But you're not saying you're going to go live off the grid in the middle of the woods. No. And that's what the, and that's what they assume. Right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, they think I'm going to be this wild mountain man that just isolates myself in a small mountain cabin on the top of a, a hill somewhere. Right. And, you know, that's the wrong idea, you know, because I'm not trying to go back to any time or era or anything like that. That's the wrong kind of thinking. Right. Because yeah. it's about a Adapting, right? So, you know, you have to adapt to this world. We're not trying to recreate 50,000 years ago. Yeah. So, again, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go to a horse and buggy when I have a car, you know, um, it's just as simple as that. Uh, but, you know, we want to find a balance between those two worlds. I think I, I talked to you before um, that I think we both saw the movie Captain Fantastic. And I won't spoil it for anybody, but one of the big themes in that movie is balance. And that's what I'm trying to find here. And it's it, it's this idea of transition culture. And this is something I really want the audience to understand is that, um, OK, so where does our food come from? We kind of have that question under control. If you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to my podcast, you kind of have an understanding that, OK, we're, we're going to eat as close to a biologically adaptive diet as possible because that's what made us strong, healthy and happy. So. What we're going to do then is we're going to apply those principles to our everyday life, but um, in ways that that um, that are sometimes a little counterintuitive. And I can go over a couple of those ways. 
for people as well, too. Yeah, before you do that, I just want to touch, we did mean, mention Captain Fantastic, and just to give a brief brief synopsis for everyone, it's a movie about uh, a man and a wife who decide to raise their children a little bit, like, off the grid. Um, kind of prime, It's kind of primal, and, uh, very primal. <clears throat> Some really interesting scenes, and really what you mentioned is kind of the takeaway. It's... Um, you know, it's really the perils of trying to go way back in time and mimic it now and how that, you know, you do need to adapt to what's here currently or you're going to run into trouble. And that is sort of um, kind of a theme in that movie. And for anyone interested, it's a really interesting tale. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, it's a beautiful movie. If anybody you know wants to check that out, please do. It's, um, it's the only movie that I've seen that's truly about like a very high production Hollywood movie, specifically about rewilding stuff. So. If you're interested in this idea, please go check that movie out. It's beautiful. And um, again, I was talking about this idea of uh, transition culture. So this idea that um, rewilding is a multi-generational approach. And this is a huge idea here. It's an idea that me, myself, as as an adult, I am not going to go run into the woods. It is unsustainable for the planet for 7 billion people to be running into the woods and hunt, to hunt and forage. It's just not sustainable. So we still need to use modern agriculture, but we need to use different practices. We need to look at more sustainable ways, more holistic ways of doing this. And um, some of the things that I typically tell people is obviously, you know, start with your food, but there are a ton of other ways that we can help rewild ourselves. And some of the things that I like to do, and I'm going to quote one of, one of my other mentors here, who is uh, Arthur Haynes extremely, extremely knowledgeable taxonomist and fellow rewilder, he has some practical strategies or what he calls rewilding fundamentals that I'm going to kind of give the audience right now so they can kind of understand what this whole picture looks like. Great. And yeah, and it, they're, they're extremely practical too, by the way, and all of them are pretty much free. So number one, um, and one of the most important things is immerse yourself in nature. And just to seek nature's firsthand experience as often as possible and to view the natural world with eyes wide open because domestication has essentially dulled our senses and dulled our sight to the natural world. So obviously, number one, if you can get outside as much as humanly possible. Number two, that would be learn natural history. So there's a great quote. I think it's by Winston Churchill. I could be wrong. Um, but it says those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. So one of the greatest things that you can do for yourself and learn about how you can become a more robust human being is learning about the people of the past, the old way, as I like, like to call it. And as a matter of fact, the old way is a great book. There's a, there's a book called the old way about indigenous people of the, uh, of this, uh, I believe, in Africa, as a matter of fact, about the Hadza people. I could be wrong, as a matter of fact. Um, I'm reading an audio book. But anyways, back to learn natural history. Um, learn all aspects of it, from the flora, the fauna, the weather, geology, everything that your landscape or your bioregion has to offer for this shapes a story or relationship to where you are on 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 planet Earth. And this is this is really deep and foundational for you to really build and cultivate this idea of rewilding. Number three is unlearn domestication because going to a job and clocking in to a nine and five is not natural. It's not the 
your ultimate place here on planet Earth. So learn um, learn ways to kind of uh, develop a space or cushion between you and domestication. Learn some of these natural skills like friction fire. Learn how to forage for wild spring water. These things are all very, very important. Um, and I'm just briefly going over this, guys, too. If you're interested at all in learning more about this, please go to ArthurHaines.com. He is a boon of knowledge. But number four would uh, obviously is eat wild food and drink wild water or as close to them as possible. So for me, my personal eating strategy, I'll go over this real quick, is I like to intermittent fast for the hormonal cascading effects that that has on my body as well as consume high amounts of fat. And I, how often are you doing the intermittent fasting? So I do intermittent fasting every single day between the hours of eight and it varies how long it goes from 16 to 18 hours. Typically anywhere I'll break it between 12, one, maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll typically break my fast. And this is important for people too, is that I'll, I'll break my fast with, um, usually some type of fermented liquid. Lately, it's been some golden beet kvass, which is absolutely delicious. And then I'll follow that up with some hearty bone broth that I make here at my house. Absolutely delicious again. Super rich and luxur- luxurious flavor and adds a lot of uh, depth to a lot of your meals. You can add it to a lot of different things. It's amazing. But I drink it straight out of the jar. Um, and then after that, I, you know, if I'm still hungry, I'll snack on some mac nuts, some macadamia nuts. And then I'll typically have a huge, big-ass salad, as Mark likes to, likes to say. And then I'll follow that up with my uh, – and my salad is actually my biggest meal of the day, guys. Most people who see me eat typically think I am a vegan or vegetarian because of the amount of vegetables and greens that I have in my diet. So just a, just a note on that. So wait, let me ask you real quick about the um, – so intermittent fasting. So essentially you're kind of eating like – you just have an eating window from what, like what, two to evening where you might have – one small meal sort of with the salad and the mac nuts and the bone broth. And then what, a couple hours later, you're having like a substantial dinner or? Yeah. So, well, not even a substantial dinner, actually a smaller meal. So I like to have my larger meal in the middle of the day because I, uh, apparently Dr. John Duyard, um, of lifespa.com, uh, he had told me that our digestion or our metabolism ramps up in the middle of the day. So the best time of day to be eating heavier foods or larger portions would be, more towards lunch. So I kind of tailored my my eating pattern to be eating my largest meal, which is actually my salad at, in the middle of the day. And then I have a smaller meal towards the end of the day. So that typically looks like a palm size of protein, typically seafood. I love seafood. Um, you guys get a chance to get salmon cheek or salmon belly. Mm-hmm. Favorite proteins of all time. Um, and then I, I make it simple. It's kind of a template. So it's real easy for me to make meals. I have a palm full of uh, protein and then I have one to two cups of cruciferous vegetables, one to two cups of deep, dark, deep, leafy greens. And I cook them all in healthy fats, coconut oils, ghee, uh, typically fats that stay shelf stable um, when sitting out on your counter. So, Which is a little bit that's more ancestral than like the refrigerated butter. So I see where you're going with that. Um, Question about the intermittent fasting. Uh, is it always zero between those hours or is there any time where you might do like a little bulletproof coffee or like a little bit of fat, you know, uh, anything, you know, yeah. Is there anything happening between waking and, um, 
you know, that first big ass salad? Yeah. So the first thing I do immediately when I wake up is I have a glass of water because very good. As soon, yeah. As soon as you wake up, your body has been without hydration for eight hours. And what I have on my countertop right over here is something called soul S O L E. It's a traditional Indian, um, mineral salt dilution. It's essentially just pink Himalayan sea salts diluted in spring water. I take a teaspoon of that for every eight ounces of water. And I throw that in additionally with a little sprig of lime or lemon with my spring water, which I get from, uh, I find rather from findaspring.com. If anybody's interested in that, if you want the most pristine wild water available to you, you can find that online through findaspring.com, which is also my buddy Daniel's. And, um, you know, I, I do that first thing in the morning to hydrate myself. And then I have another glass after I take my cold shower. Cause I, I also do, um, CT or cold thermogenesis also in the morning, followed by the Wim Hof method. So, if, uh, your listeners aren't familiar with Wim, the Iceman Hoff. That is actually, he practices something called cold thermogenesis or CT, um, uh, cold immersion. Uh, if you haven't heard about this by now and you're listening to this podcast, you may have been under a rock. Well, right. We actually did a podcast on that. We had two of the certified Wim Hof guys who trained with him on. So if anyone's interested, just go into the Primal Blueprint podcast and the search and just type Wim Hof and the podcast uh, should come up with the two guys I interviewed. Yeah, that's a very, yeah, you're right. Living under a rock. That's a very popular thing that's going on right now. Obviously to even the, just the cryogenic centers where you can go in and like, you know, immerse yourself in cold therapy. Yeah. Um, I wanted to highlight what you did in the morning too, a little bit. So for people that don't know, especially for people who have a lot of stress in their life or have thyroid issues and are trying to improve adrenals, which usually fail when you've got uh, hypothyroidism is, you know, our adrenal glands pretty much run on salt. One of the best things you can do in the morning is wake up and have a glass of water, just like you said, with some really good salt, Celtic sea salt, Himalayan salt, or some Hawaiian uh, salt. And then the lemon or the lime that you add, you know, lemon, lemon water in the morning is known as just a great liver cleanser. So that's just something everyone can do to improve their health. It also improves the pH balance of your water, too. You guys are interested in that as well, too. So, And, you know, just to, to also continue on that, because I was speaking on hormesis, that was actually, uh, that's number eight on the rewilding fundamentals, fundamentals, excuse me, which is basically just expanding your physical tolerance limits. Because there's this idea that, um, you know, humans, us today in the technologically advanced world that we live in, at least here in the Western uh, Western portion, is that we can go anywhere and not feel a difference in temperature. That we go from temperature-controlled environment to temperature-controlled environment to temperature-controlled environment, from your house to your car to your work. So you never have that dip or environmental change. Your body has essentially lost that strength, that evolutionary strength. Because if you think about it, we came from Africa and then migrated and populated the entire world. So we have this natural ability to adapt very, very quickly. This gentleman, Wim Hof, he has the ability to um, basically, they've done a ton of tests on him. His immune system is out of the roof. Basically, he can control his automatic, autonomic nervous system, which, um, which basically keeps the fight or flight symptoms uh, it, that you can get from missing your cell phone call or or doing a podcast interview, uh, you know, and that can set all those things off and then send, send a, a horrible cascade of hormones and stress signals to your body, which we're already over inundated with. So 
um, doing that practice can really help shield or build that strength. And um, that's just another one of the many benefits of rewilding too. Um, well, but, and to take and to take you back, you do the morning thing, but then I had asked you if there's any kind of fat or food of any kind between the yeah before your salad. Yeah, so um, of course I do do a fatty coffee. I do do a quote unquote bulletproof coffee, and the reason behind that is because I found that was the easiest way to get more fats, and at least for someone beginning, because that was one of the biggest questions for me doing the high fat low carb in the beginning was. How do I switch my mindset over to thinking of fat as like a side dish, like something to just kind of have a little bit of, to realizing that that should almost be what I should be. Basically, it's what I focus on primarily is my healthy fats. Yeah. It's no longer my protein, which most people will tell you, okay, mm-hmm. you build meals by focusing on your protein first and then build out. Mine is actually look at the fat content and then build out from that. And I like to look at my meals as um, at least the macronutrients of my meals in terms of an egg. I like to explain that to people that when you're building meals, think of an egg because an egg is what? It's there to support and sustain life. So it probably has very good macronutrient ratios. And if you look at pretty much any animal on the face of the planet, uh, at least predators, they all seek and love eggs because they are so nutrient dense and high in fat. Basically, they're high in fat, low in carbohydrates, medium in protein. So that's exactly which is the breakup that we're talking about, everyone. And for those first listening, it's a high fat, moderate protein, low carb paradigm. So that absolutely is right in line. Yeah, and I do have a fatty coffee, and what I add into that is I've kind of gotten away from adding C8 oil or caprylic acid or um, MCT oils because really, you know, coming from a background of supplements, I realized a long time ago that if I can, for any reason, get any of these, mm, you know, natural components, macronutrients, micronutrients in whole food form, that is exactly how I'm going to do it. So then what's the fat that you put in? Like, give us the makeup of your coffee for you. Yeah, absolutely. So it's pretty simple. Um, I basically just have a little French press. I don't buy any mold-free coffee or anything like that, unfortunately. I'm a little too poor at this moment. But um, I do add coconut oil, or not coconut oil, but coconut cream into my coffee, two tablespoons of coconut cream. I add a fourth a teaspoon of Ceylon cinnamon. I add one tablespoon one teaspoon rather of raw cacao powder. And then I add one tablespoon of cultured unsalted pastured butter. And that's kind of just whip that all up and it's nice and frothy and it's delicious. Just kind of what I have every morning. And it, you know, I'm very systems oriented. I feel like, you know, to be very successful, uh, you know, not only do you need to have goals, but you need to have systems to run those goals for you. And so just like you were saying, every morning I wake up, I have that glass of water. You know, um, every morning I make sure that my coffee is already pre-prepared because there's all those ingredients. I don't have to think about it. I make it the night before. Boom, it's done in the morning. So that's that's also really important to remember when doing these things. Is preparation is key, guys. I mean, if you're not prepared, uh, there's gonna you're gonna you're gonna meet some pitfalls for sure. Absolutely, I also pretty much intermittent fast every day. I'm never very hungry, but often lately I need something. And so for me, um, and if for those that don't drink coffee and don't want to do a, a drink that way, you know, just a spoonful of coconut butter can just, I mean, like five hours of pure 
mental and physical energy. I mean, it can really sustain you. And part of the reason why I do it is because um, I have a supplement regimen right now where there's some things in the morning that it's better to take and, and do that. And But you, I want to have eat, take these things like selenium, for example, with, with some fat, but I don't want to eat food because that's not what I'm feeling. Um, so in that case, something like coconut butter uh, for me uh, or a little coconut oil, whatever, but something like that um, – can be a great way also to, like you said, help along the way when you're getting fat adapted. If you want to try the intermittent fasting, it's going to be quite hard if you're just starting off as a sugar burner. So having some fat in the morning or a bulletproof coffee, it doesn't matter how you, what you call it or what you make of it. Obviously Dave sort of, it's Dave coined that term. I mean, bulletproof is kind of like saying Band-Aid, right? Johnson and Johnson actually have the rights to the name Band-Aid. And if you look on the shelf, they're all called plastic strips otherwise, but we refer to them as Band-Aids. And I, I, I love that about them. So it's kind of all bulletproof coffee but you can make your own variations. And I also just want to chime in here. A lot of people overdo this, okay? I've spoken with people that are like, all right, in the morning, um, and I'm like, all right, what's in your coffee? And they're like, two tablespoons of butter and then like two t- teaspoons of MCT oil. I'm like, damn, that's like 500 grams of fat. I was going to say they're wondering why they're still gaining that's weight. Right. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, let's mention that to everyone who doesn't know that you can get fat on a low-carb diet if you overeat fat eat more fat than you're burning. And if you're trying to more more protein, I mean, there's so many ways. There's so many ways you can do it. I've made every mistake in the book. I've talked about it on the show too. I've overeaten protein and remained a sugar burner. I have, uh, really, really blown it on a couple levels, you know, as you're, cause it's an intuitive thing. And, um, especially when you're a small size person and a lot of guys in this industry are, they're, they're guys and they're bigger, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so what someone says might be caloric, you know, the appropriate for them, is not for someone who's 5'2 and a woman like me. So, you know, I had to go through a lot of trials and errors, you know, because I'm, I'm dealing with Mark Sisson and Brad. These guys are like the tall, ripped dudes, you know, so I can't eat sure. what they're eating. But, and I remember learning that from Mark because I had trouble along the way. And he goes, well, what are you snacking on? And I go, I don't know, nuts. And he goes, oh, no. He goes, no, no, <laughs> big mistake, kind of a first order of business fail a lot of people do because when you're confused about what to eat, they'll tend to do more nuts. And as you know, one handful could be like 800 calories uh, for nuts and two nutrient dense, maybe even too much fat. So, you know, I, I really learned those along the way, but so people, I would just say, go easy on the bulletproof or the, you know, fat coffee in the morning. Um, if you are trying to lose fat, but also trying to get used to this, you don't need much, right? You don't need much. Yeah, I don't even recommend intermittent fasting for people beginning. In it, beginning. Oh, oh, I hear you. No, I think breakfast should be important. If people are used to that, then like they need to stay that course for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think even, you know, a great transition into that is just green smoothies in the morning. You know, so you can you can still kind of liquefy the beginning part of your day, I guess you could say, by doing green smoothies and still making it healthy, satisfying. And you won't be running to the bathroom immediately afterwards either if you're new to this. So Right. And uh, you can throw a little MCT or not well, forget MCT. MCT oil sometimes in big amounts can make people poop. It doesn't make me feel great. So for me, it would be probably I would choose, you know, coconut oil or something else. But even if you do or brain octane oil, but if you do a little bit of that with some collagen or even some whey in that smoothie, your brain and you're going to be satiated, you will be on fire. So if you're starting out with the green smoothie, I would suggest throwing in either some unflavored grass-fed whey or some collagen with a little bit of oil because it'll satiate the brain there for a while. But that's a great way to do it. And then you're kind of getting your salad <laughs> you're getting your, you know, kind of a salad in the morning where a lot of people new to this probably could use a little bit more green. So I'm a big fan of the green smoothie if you just maybe add a few things to it to make it more satiating. And, and just real quick, uh, just so people understand too, the, the reason why I 
wouldn't recommend them doing intermittent fasting from the beginning is, well, number one, it's simple, right? You just skip breakfast. However, if you're not eating and you don't, you're not eating high quality nutrient dense foods, you haven't built those habits. What's going to end up happening is you're going to be not eating and then you're going to be at a calorie deficit and then you're going to be eating empty calories by eating whatever crap that you just binged on. And then at that point, you're really going to be in some serious trouble because not only are you, uh, you're deficient in calories, but you're also, um, just starving yourself. So I, I really want that to be understood that that is an advanced strategy. Just because you see where does not mean that you should go try it. It's something that later on when you do have some time under your belt and you feel comfortable with the diet, then I suggest you start experimenting with, uh, with fasting. Yes. And I want to highlight that. So the other thing, so often what happens is people who are new to this and they're sugar burners and they're trying to get fat adapted and go on this train, people who wake up hungry and have breakfast find that as they go down this train and get fat adapted, they start to wake up and then they're not hungry. And those are the moments when your body will tell you, okay, now it's maybe time for the smoothie or for a little bit of fat coffee because I think I can handle it. Because that will happen. That really does happen. If you're doing things right, then there's going to be a moment where you wake up and you're like, that's weird. I'm not even hungry this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've, we've seen that with a lot of people and they're really confused by that. And you're like, no, 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 that's a good sign. That's a really good sign. So I, I'm with you on that. It's going to be too hard. You also could catabolize muscle. You will be sending the signal to your body that you're starving, which could also send bad signals to your thyroid and everything else. It could really jack up cortisol, which you don't want to do either. So it is important. Like you said, very good uh, recommendation. Wait till you have some time under your belt. And that's why Mark, you know, calls it the 21 day transformation. It takes 21 days to four weeks to really turn on these switches. And, you know, for most people starting out, you're bound to make some mistakes here. You know, it's going to take longer than a month, but you can get satiated and fat adapted in that time if you're doing it right. And then you go down the road and you're really able to to do some of these advanced protocols. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of elimination diets. So for the first 30 days, you just go as strict and as hard as you possibly can on following this damn thing until you get some time under your belt. Because without that extended period of time, you don't give your body enough time to adapt. You don't actually see the benefits. If you just do it for a week, well, actually, the crazy thing about this diet, the crazy thing about this lifestyle, I should say, is that it, it's so beneficial, and people are so jacked up for the most part, that within a week, you will see dramatic results. I'm going to take that back because... No, yeah, you're right. I hear you because I've had people even call me and go, oh my gosh, I've just been doing this for four days, eliminating grains and everything else and kind of staying away, and I feel amazing. I mean, I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does not take very long. Just like I was saying with the Wim Hof method, he knew I do. He's been doing this method for years and years and years and years and through his teachings he's realized that the body is so adaptable that he can teach someone's autonomic nervous system to be trained essentially quote-unquote trained within three days of doing his method you know you can go in do the Wim Hof method and have the same kind of results as a gentleman who's been doing it for 20 plus years I mean your body wants to adapt it's amazing if you think about it you probably grew up most of your life living off of processed foods Imagine how magical your body is to still keep you going, living off of all the processed foods. I listen. I have moments sometimes where I'm like, I am so grateful that I'm even alive. Like, oh my gosh, that I've made it this far, considering 
everything. I mean, forget just, I think I didn't get in a random car accident or die or any of that, but also just when we look at what we've done to ourselves, if you have been in an unhealthy pattern for a while, it is amazing, right? The, your body's trying to save you at every minute. And so when you get to this point, it's time for some true body self-appreciation, right? I mean, you're, it's amazing. It's amazing what your body can um, adapt to. And so, yeah, in looking back, I'm so appreciative that I'm out and I made it safely out. You know, yeah, and and just we're still trying, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, and it's always evolving. That's the thing that I love about uh, nutrition sciences is that you know the the science is always evolving. What we think now may not be what what what's going to be happening in five years, but right now we definitely have a great start. And taking this Darwinian approach, looking through the lens of evolutionary medicine or this uh, quote unquote twenty first century hunter gatherer gardener that I like to talk about. This idea, uh, we are making huge, huge progress. And it's really opening people's eyes to just the bigger picture that it's not just about our food, that it bleeds into our everyday, everyday lives from the people that we interact with to our community, to the land, to the animals and non-human animals that we share the planet with. This, this idea of this paleo community, this rewilding community, this ancestral health community is so huge. It's, it's impossible. I mean, it's hard for me not to say it's almost like a, a religion or a faith because it goes almost beyond that for me because it allows me to almost cut through the bullshit. You know, like I can see right through most of the stuff that's going on around me and just focus in on the stuff that I know that is deeply important to me and my DNA and essentially what's going to make me successful here on this planet. So um, and bringing you back into the now too, you know, when you're when you're out in nature and you're grounded by what we are genetically meant to be surrounded by, and you we take the time to immerse ourselves in things like that or do these practices, whether meditative or or nature walks. I mean, you know, it's just it's a life changer. Yeah, there's and there's so many different benefits you get. I mean, that's the thing is just being outside, simply being outside. Um, gives you so many different types of benefits. Like you were saying, um, there's a practice in Japan, they call it forest bathing or Shinrin Yoku. And it's this idea that you don't even walk, you don't even walk, you don't even hike, you literally sit there amongst trees, and just spend time in nature awareness, that that those trees are actually emitting oils and scents, and um, negative ions that are actually building your health and your social standing with the natural environment. So there's a lot of things that we still don't quite understand about nature, but finally some of these ancestral practices are now being validated by modern science. And that's kind of what Ancestral Health Radio is all about, is finding that transition ground or that transition culture that we can all develop together. And hopefully um, through this, we can cure or help um, – reverse or treat or whatever it is, um, some of these evolutionary mismatch diseases with biologically adaptive medicine. And that's that's what I'm all about right there. Right. And we know, look, we know it works for type 2 diabetes, everybody, which is a brutal one, and it works. So uh, you can really reverse it. I want to touch on two things that I thought of. Um, I want to highlight the nature thing for a second, particularly uh, for people with anxiety. 
So, you know, I've, uh, aside from getting fat adapted, which will absolutely help with anxiety because of how it manages blood glucose and, and adrenals. So you're going to have less of those spikes and output of stressful hormones. So that's one way that people, you know, are using this for mental health. But the other is I have just seen, I spent a lot of time in nature, so I'm used to it and I feel quite grounded. I'm, I'm just totally a nature person, but I have had an experience actually recently where uh, I knew someone who struggled sort of with anxiety stuff, um, kind of a person who can't even have a cup of coffee. It's just too much for someone like them and they have to really be careful. And we went to, um, like a nature ranch with, you know, goats and animals and we're hanging out. And at the end of this, you know, five hour, just nature immersion, like experience that no one really gets, you know, we're hanging out on a farm with animals and things like that. They were practically, you know, in tears on the way back. They're like, I have not felt that calm and relaxed in forever that it's almost tearing me up because I had once thought, you know, in my life when I really struggled severely that I'd never feel this way. And here I am right now feeling that, you know, that's really powerful. A day in outside in the air with animals, just, you know, we were brushing some horses, we're petting goats, you know, we're just sort of having this uh, experience and, and what it did for that person. And even probably the sense memory of it will continue to do that for them, even though they're not going to be at the ranch every day. So, you know, I mean, I, I suggest anyone struggling with anxiety, put your feet in the ground or go do what you're talking about. In fact, even Dr. Forsman on my book, The Paleothyroid Solution, I've I've heard about him prescribing to a couple people where he said, listen, you need to like go get your bare feet and just stand in the grass, even if it's just a patch outside of your house and you're living in a city, you know, to, to get grounded, you know, especially people with anxiety. So I just kind of want to throw that out for anyone out there who might struggle still with that, that that could be a great um, grounding practice. And grounding is so many benefits too. I, I mean, in really what you're doing with grounding is essentially soaking up all that negative electrons. And for people that, <clears throat> that don't know, you know, some basic chemistry. So basically what, what, what I've been told is that, um, positive charge equals inflammation, whereas negative charge equals anti-inflammation or anti, or, or um, anti-inflammation, excuse me. Yes. So, uh, if you can, please make that a part of your morning practice as well too. The, another one of the gentlemen or, or people that I follow is Dr. Jack Cruz. Dr. Jack Cruz or Jack Cruz.com. And he, uh, this is one of the big tenets of what he calls the epi paleo, um, uh, diet that he follows. And it's basically just getting outside, uh, putting all four extremities on the ground and face towards the sun. Yeah. And basically what you're doing is you're, re you're soaking up all those negative electrons from the earth, which is basically an uh, unlimited source of negative electrons, which is amazing. I have some sandals, what I call hippie flips, but they're really called earth runners, <laughs> but um, they are uh, grounded to the ground and they will allow you through your shoes. Uh, so you get a little bit of protection on the bottom of your feet to still absorb that negative electron or, or that negative energy from the earth to kind of dissipate some of the inflammation that's going on in your body. So, Ooh, what are the, what's that? What's that? What are those shoes called? They're called earth runners. Okay. A a amazing, amazing sandals. Um, highly recommended. Vibram soles. Very minimal. They're made in the style of Haraka, I think they're called, which is the old style sandal of, um, it's like a Hispanic descent where, uh, I believe they were doing a lot of the born to run or if you, if you're familiar with that book, um, sure. Those are kind of the sandals that all those, 
uh, tribes people wore were were basically those harakas. I think they're called those type of sandals. They're great because all other sandals actually try to kill me. I swear to God. So um, they're the only. And I also want to just interject too on the the grounding with the electrons uh, a negative charger. Uh, Laird Hamilton, who's been on our show before, and he didn't talk about it in the podcast he did with Mark, but he talks about it in his book as to one of the reasons he is barefoot as much as he can is to get that energy from the earth. And he also is a, a Wim Hofer type of ice. Uh, he does the icing as well. But he, he talks about that, that when he's in Hawaii and his property in his book, um, all about, he has a whole section on, you know, getting that energy from the earth through your feet. And also making sure that you're getting sun in your eyes specifically to reset your circadian uh, rhythms so that you can hopefully go to earth and mitigate the effects of harmful EMF pollution or, or non-native EMF pollution or electromagnetic frequencies that are constantly bombarding us. The average person has like seven electrical devices that are connected to Wi-Fi. And they're now doing a study showing, I think there was a, a really cool study recently done by a, a, a class of school students. I believe it was four girls. And what they did is they took some seeds and they placed um, some seeds uh, that were sprouting in some paper towels and they put Two kinds of seeds in one room, or one kind of seed in one room, same kind of seed in, in two different rooms, basically controlled study, one with Wi-Fi, one without. One without Wi-Fi had beautiful sprouts. Everything was growing. You look at the other one that had Wi-Fi exposure, and they were destroyed. None, none of them were even sprouting. It looked like they, they were actually dying. And so this is picking up a lot of steam in the community right now, showing that these effects are are really, really serious. And, and not only that, but the number of cancers happening, tumors happening um, in the places where we hold our cell phones, which are right next to our heads. So um, there are a lot of things. Yeah, switch to speakerphone, people. Or <laughs> Whenever you're not using your phone, a great way to stay um, focused as well is keeping your phone on airplane mode. And I like to check my phone twice a day if that's at all possible. Which is, you know, I took this from Tim Ferriss, at, um, you know, once at noon and another time at four o'clock. And that just coincides with the time that I have at work. So it allows me to not be fully plugged in all the time, but I find that that's sometimes very hard to do. <laughs> so I like it, though. I try to do it, too, for long periods of focus, because just an innocent text on anything uh, can just really distract and disrupt. And if you're looking for, you know, a, a focus, you know. Yeah. Well, that's that's number one. I mean, uh, in in this economy, our focus is one of the things we need to be the most protected of. So, um, staying away again, just being in nature and being more nature connected is another way of doing that. But um, staying away from screens and having boundaries with your technology is also also very very important. What are some other things um, that that have a you've noticed in yourself? Um, whether it be your relationship to other people, relationships in general, um, there are just it's a night and day difference. Um, it's it's it, because again, this is how I view my world now. I see things through a whole different lens. So um, when I go outside, you know, I'm paying attention attention to the direction of the wind. I'm seeing where the sun is. I'm paying attention to. Um, I'm paying attention to, I mean, the sand between my toes, to all my senses, you know, are basically heightened by trying to become more connected with the natural world. Because I noticed that um, for the most part, uh, just again, all my senses have been dulled. So it's kind of renewing these primal, primal awareness, I guess you could say. 
And uh, the biggest difference for me is really, honestly, has been my energy, mental health, clarity, because uh, my dad, um, a little over a year ago, passed away from uh, Parkinson's disease. So neurodegenerative diseases and neuroprotective health is very, very important to me. So um, really, it's the diet. <clears throat> I try to focus on the diet, but mostly it, it, it comes into the lifestyle where it's it's God, it's just so encompassing. It's hard to really encapsulate into a single episode. L. It's no, just, I know we could we could go on forever because there's so many of these various topics. I'd love to even delve into further. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, from the different types of mismatch diseases that that I'm personally working on um, to building real community, and I think that's um, one of the most difficult challenges for people in our space right now is. You know, we can all build, you know, create amazing food and, you know, come together under this umbrella of paleo and ancestral health. But the, the problem is that we're still bringing baggage in from this domesticated life that we've built for ourselves. And some of the hardest things to do is really kind of break down the barriers for ourselves so that we can connect together as a people again. And so one of my biggest missions that I'm trying to trying to do is kind of build that transition community for people out there, fellow ancestral health practitioners and rewilders like myself so that we can come together and we can not only just discuss these type of um, topics, but actually get some real life dirt time. Like it's not just about learning primitive skills or learning how to cook the perfect steak or, you know, um, learning what type of oils to cook with. It's, it's really the bigger picture here is trying to learn how we can come together as a species again and learn how to, with the amount of density and the people that are around us, how do we come together in this ancestral health community to learn more of what's going to help us transition? And I think that's some of these um, transi- transition skills that, say, your grandfather or, you know, our, our father's father knew, um, basically things like um, carpentry, learning uh, woodworking skills, uh, uh, you know, n- because I want people to understand that rewilding isn't just going all the way back and learning friction fire or building shelters or all these other, you know, um, cordage and basketry. It's about learning the skills also that that help us get there in the meantime, which are these transition skills like being a mechanic, uh, learning how to be good with your hands, being creators again. And that's kind of the message that I want people to understand is that right now we're consumers, we're takers, essentially, as Daniel Quinn would call us. And it, it, by the way, and it's time to get crafty. It, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've lost that craftsmanship side of us. Now we don't, we've lost our relationship to everything that really made us human. And now, it, you know, everything is so superficial from the things that we buy to the people that we interact with. So the big message that I'm trying to get out to people is that we're trying to connect on a holistic level. And we do this by creating this transition culture, which is this halfway between rewilding paleo health, and uh, this gray area, you know, it's it's like modern world and then this paleo area. And then in between is this gray area, which is this transition culture, which is, you know, permaculture, learning uh, sustainable grazing methods for agriculture. Um, because, again, we still have seven billion people on this planet. We, we aren't going to become hunter gatherers overnight. So that's really what I want to stress to people out there. And if you're interested in this, please come check out my material. And if and um reach out to me. I'm very open to questions. If you have any anything that you'd like to ask me regarding rewilding or ancestral health, you can reach me at james at ancestralhealthradio.com. It's pretty straightforward. And I'd love to connect. I mean, really, my mission here is to connect with a larger set of community and kind of bring us together under the same umbrella. Because, uh, you know, I, 
I noticed that there's a lot of like debates back and forth between people within the community. And I'd rather us just come together and learn how to create this transition ground where it's more acceptable for all of us to, to, to do our own thing. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's really what it's all about. I, I, I want more people to be accepted into this lifestyle, but you can't just go from, from one extreme to another. We need to kind of have this, this stepping stone where we can make that transition. And that's, that's kind of learning these skills and learning how to be with each other um, that I'm talking about. I hope that we can do that sometime in the very near future. And if you're interested in that, please reach out to me. Well, thank you so much. You've given us so many different little topics to think about uh, in, in different ways we haven't discussed before on the podcast. Again, James Broderick from AncestralHealthRadio.com, also the same name of his uh, wonderful podcast as well, where you can hear him talk more about this. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Oh, man, L. Uh, I feel like you just left us with a good one. <laughs> that's kind of what it is, is really that we need to stick together and that it's not just about food. Yep. Um, it is about it is about um, not only our food, but our connection to our land and our community, our tribe. And so it's this long, and I've gotten this idea, and this is I'll leave this with people, and uh, this is from another one of my mentors, basically – I like to denounce the title of guru or expert or anything like that because really I just do what works best for me. And I stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, I stand on the shoulders of Mark Sisson. You know, I stand on the shoulders of uh, Rob Wolf, of my buddy Daniel Vitalis, of Arthur Haynes, all these other gentlemen that came before me. And so I like to share their material because I don't like to reinvent the wheel. (laughs) So. Uh, the, this idea. Right. And, you know, in speaking about this topic, if anyone's interested, you know, Mark Sisson's book, Primal Connection, is all about these other aspects uh, instead of just the health part of things about how we do create communities and how we did back then. And, you know, one of the things that you touched on and we could do a whole podcast on is the tribe, right? You know, something's missing from our lives and usually don't people don't feel right when we don't have a good group around us, which is why it can be scary to move to different places, etc. Thank God we're in the technology age and you can keep in touch with loved ones if you have to make a move, you know, where you don't know anyone. But all of these little types of topics on how we connect with each other um, and the history of that is in Primal Connection, if anyone's interested. And also, if anyone's out there and they're really into this and they want to know more, the Primal Health Coach Program is an amazing uh, program, of course, I've been through and I'm on the advisory board of. And and there are people like even my brother who's gone through the course just to learn all that they can about it and get nitty gritty with the science behind it. So those are other couple of options, but well, we'd love to have you back on. We could we could do a whole podcast on just um, on just temperature regulation. <laughs> you know, you and I we, we we talk the same language. So yeah, it, it would be my honor to come back on to to talk about any number of things. Um, it was really my pleasure. Well, thanks again, James Broderick, ancestralhealthradio.com. Hope everyone has a great day. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than. A stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. Used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress. Whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. 
And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout. But instead, this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy, stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events, such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.